0: From the forests and heaths of West Suffolk to the pastoral calm of the Dedham Vale, Suffolk is a county which revels in its beauty, but also in its humility. And yet it's full of successful businesses, purposeful charities, and fascinating people. The conversations that we are holding are with the people in Suffolk who work on the three things that you can do with your money. You can spend it, you can save it, or you can give it away. So we're talking with the entrepreneurs and the business leaders where we spend our money. We're talking to the independent financial advisors and money experts who help us when we have financial issues. And we're talking to the charities and the community groups who are making a difference within our county. I'm really delighted that I can speak with Dennis Harhalakis. Dennis is a money coach. Uh, Dennis, a money coach.
1: Mm. Talk us through that. So a money coach, or at least what I do, uh, Colin, is to help people to understand and manage the money in their lives, which is kind of what you do, really, isn't it?
0: Yeah, we do things in a different way, but I'm fascinated by what you do because it's maybe taking things from a different perspective.
1: The the direction I come at it from is to help people understand how they think and behave around money. Um, So money coaching is, from from my perspective, it's a framework for understanding your decision making. Uh, We don't get taught about money. We don't get taught by our parents, and we don't get taught in the school system. And that's changing slightly. But in essence, most of us go into life and we kind of stumble through it with a whole set of behaviors. And habits and and views that that are subconscious, and yet they impact how we get through our our lives. And it's not just about money, it's it's about most things. Money coaching framework, then, is is, is a way of understanding how you think and behave around money. Once you do, you can make better decisions, uh, you can reduce anxiety and other negative emotions that people have around money, um, and we can communicate in healthy ways. So for me, that is the essence of of money coaching is helping people to understand and manage their money by understanding how they think and feel and behave around it. Um, And a lot of that starts with just simple self-compassion. People struggle with money and they struggle with money because as we just mentioned, they've never been shown how to do it. And yet there's this strange situation where, if I said, Colin, can you use a chainsaw? What would you say? Apart from um, the the simple answer is no. Good. Well, I mean, good in the sense of <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, my, my wife j- would be running no. a mile if you even well, suggested. Yeah, it.
1: yeah. What I meant was, does that keep you awake at night? Do you feel shame and guilt around that? Uh, no, I, I honestly you don't. No. Can you no. um, can you fix a boiler?
0: No. No.
1: Do you feel shame and guilt around that? No. No. And no. And no. You shouldn't because you're anyway. You're not a plumber, but. Also, no one's ever shown you how to do this stuff. And so there's a huge amount of stuff that we've never been shown how to do. And yet when it comes to money, when we fail at it, and we always fail somewhere along the line, because it's not that straightforward, um, we tend to blame ourselves. Mm. We look at that and go, hmm, how do I do that? And then we go, hmm, why can't I do that?
0: so why, why do we feel like that then because you've just identified the massive big weak spot in my life there's many of them but my worst is diy and and i can't even hang a picture i definitely can't hang it straight i could try putting it up but i i cannot hang a picture but what do, whereas there are people who are fantastic at you know constructing fences and painting walls and and I feel terrible when I look at how well they do those things. So what's the issue with money? Why do people feel so bad about that in particular?
1: Well, money is very tied into our self-worth. And it's also not discussed. So you've got this rather unfortunate situation where you've never been shown how to do it. It's not discussed. You might not be doing very well with it. And yet there's nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. So what happens is people turn this inwards. So my clients have moved from... How can I do this to why can't I do this? And then what's wrong with me? Growing up, we get a lot of messages that are are like that. Why don't you understand this? What's wrong with you? This is really simple. What's wrong with you? Why can't you get this? And and sometimes that just, well, actually a lot of the time that just sits there. So we end up with a situation where for things that we can't do that are important or that are perceived to be important to be important. When we can't do them, we think there's something wrong with us.
0: And is that because the society that we're in considers money to be the way which we're judged? So we're, we're compared with others based on our wealth, based on our status, our financial position. And that, therefore, if we struggle with that, it adds additional complications.
1: Well, that's certainly part of it. Uh, a lot of this is self-judgment. Okay. Um, we judge ourselves. The, the worst voice in your head is, is normally yours. The one that's telling you you're no good and you're useless and you're whatever. Now, we've inherited that through uh, childhood memories and, and these things have gotten wired into us. Um, so people that were supported in childhood where failure is, is part of the process of becoming expert at something, is not doing very well at the beginning of it. Now, if you had a childhood where failure was was turned inward in the sense that you then felt there was something wrong with you because you couldn't do it, as opposed to it's because you know, that is, not being very good at the beginning is part of the learning process, then then things where you fail at uh, become a something wrong with you as opposed to no one showed me. Because money taps into a lot of our core security needs—it becomes very hardwired in the brain, and, and the reactions that we have around it uh, tend to come, uh, tend to be um, subconscious and out of control, uh, out of you know, out of out of conscious control. So, things that we fail at around money um, tend to provoke a reaction uh, or feelings of guilt, shame, anxiety, and other negative emotions that that we don't choose. And that's why the the money piece becomes so challenging for people because they're not in control of the way they feel about it. And if it makes them feel bad, there isn't really anywhere they can go and have that open discussion. People come to you and they talk about their money all the time, but I don't imagine they talk about how they feel about it and how it makes them feel. So we have this unfortunate combination of it's something we don't really talk about. It's something we don't really understand. And then... That's why not being good with money is normalized. It should be normal because no one shows us how to do it. It should be normal. In fact, people who are good at, good with money are, are, are the ones that are, that, that are essentially the unusual ones. Mm. The fact that no one showed you how to manage your finances, no one showed you how to invest and build a portfolio, and no one showed you how to do budgeting, all those things are normal. So when I work with people, one of the first things we talk about is actually The way you behave around money, the way you feel about it is totally normal and totally understandable.
0: Mm.
1: You're not unusual. You are totally normal. The way you behave, the way you feel, the way you think makes total sense based on the way that money was talked about when you were growing up and the way that you were people related to you when you were growing up. So I split it into three things because money is this kind of broad subject but the one thing about money is it's not about the numbers right money discussions tend to be reduced to questions around numeracy it's like weight discussions are are, are reduced to well it's just all about the numbers right calories in calories out right that's totally wrong because it doesn't take any account of that person's relationship with food and relationship with themselves. So for me, money and the money discussions and the money coaching process is about, how do you feel about yourself? How do you feel about money? And how do you feel about money and yourself? It's not about the numbers. It's not just a question of, can you show me how to do budgeting? No, the reason you can't do budgeting is not because there's anything wrong with you. It's not because no one's shown you there are, we we tend to end up blocked around it. So I'm holding, um, I'm holding up in, what am I holding up in my hand? That looks like a phone. It's an iPhone, that's correct. Okay, other other phones are available. (laughs) This is an instant connection to all of the stored knowledge in the world. And most people we know have these things. Most people we know have the ability to access all of the stored knowledge in the world on everything. So if people are not good with money, is it a lack of information? No, because as you say, we we are, we're in such a connected world. We can pick up
0: any information we want. So we're in a unique
1: point, even in our lifetimes. When 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 we were growing up, we needed to do something. Where did we go? Went to the library. So as a civilization, uh, at least most of the people we know have access to all of the information. And so it's not a lack of information. It's mm-hmm. not. It's not. And and in, in, it's information around. You know, Martin Lewis's websites, money and pensions, it's all out there, everything's out there. So what's stopping us being much, much better with our money is blocks around how we feel about ourselves, how we feel about money and how we feel about money on ourselves. That's what's, that's, what's getting in the way. So for me, this is what money coaching is about is exploring how those three factors develop. Then we move forward to the, to the practical aspects.
0: So does that bring in then the whole nurture and nature aspect of what our personality is like and how much that's driven by our surroundings? This may be way too deep for what we're talking about now, but
1: it might just be that I'm fishing in the wrong pool. No, it's it's a really good question. Um, if we want to break it down a little bit, um, there are uh, societal norms, for example, that will affect how we broadly think about things. Then there's the environment we grew up in. Um, And then there's kind of later life experiences. So if you look at messages in society, they come from government, they come from institutions, and they come from our closest circles. So within that, so for example, if we if we were to talk about, for example, um, women and money, it's important to realize that women in this country were not allowed to have bank accounts on their own until, do do you know the date? Do you know this one? I don't know the date, but I would guess in the 1960s. 1978, I think, is the date. No. Women were not allowed to open up a bank account within, uh, with their, on, the, on their own. I may be wrong on that. I haven't looked at it recently, but it's something like that. So what, what does that tell you? What it tells you is that from a society's perspective, women weren't trusted with money on their own until this particular period in time. So, yes, if we're looking at the broader societal landscape, the broadest infrastructure, the broader messaging, um, then yes, there's, there's that piece to it. Uh, that is normally then reflected through the institutions, the, the institutions of government and then the private institutions, and that kind of filters down to, our, to our, own, uh, our own bubble. But primarily, if you're looking at how you feel about yourself, that's your home environment. What are those money messages around you when you were growing up? So why don't you share with me, Colin, what do you remember when you were growing up? What did your mum and dad or your uncle or they used to say?
0: Yeah, so I suppose, you know, I was you know, in a relatively privileged position. You know, and can't recall ever us ever being short of mm. anything. So, um, But I guess I come from a, um, a sort of very sort of Ulster Scots heritage of being very careful with money
1: okay well that's lucky lucky (laughs) side of it but what did they used to say was it money doesn't grow on trees yeah
0: money doesn't go on trees or um you know how where do you expect that to come from and uh there's no extravagance no extravagance on anything
1: yeah 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 so lots of messaging there around the importance of money um and not where do you expect that to come from is a great one money's burning a hole in its pocket think of the imagery what that's evoking. So, think about what that what that means to a seven year old child, and how it feeds in. It doesn't surprise me at all that that now you are in a position where you're guiding other people around making sensible money decisions, because that was that frugality, that aspect of your life, was instilled in you from uh, a very young age, and and you'll have plenty of other messages uh, that other people my clients come up with things like um you can't take it with you mm. uh, stinking rich filthy rich all those things sit in your subconscious and they come out when when money and you and money is, uh, are, are, are concerned so teasing that out allows people to go ah okay i'd like to make a conscious decision Around how I feel about these things, this is my subconscious inheritance. This is what was passed down to me th- through my environment growing up, the environment that uh, uh, that I grew up in, and then you know my, maybe the broader cultural environment, um, and then possibly even you know the bigger environment. Uh, but primarily in the family space, how was money talked about? How do I think about it?
0: That's really fascinating. So you mentioned about clients um so people will come to you let's just talk about how people come to you and at what stage they are and perhaps what's initiated that Mm. because we've just talked about the baggage we all bring with us
1: so colin if you um if you wanted to get better at tennis or you want to get better at meditation or you wanted to get better at chainsaw management or even diy what would you do where would you go do
0: you want to talk to someone who understands it and can show you how you can improve
1: right you'd go to a coach or you'd go to a i was uh, trying not to use the coach word oh you were not trying to use the coach <laughs> word right yes so i'm saying you've finished that one. <laughs> okay if you're looking to get better at something and learn about something you find a professional you find a coach you find a mentor you find a guide they show you how something is done and then you learn to practice with them and that's how it should be with money but it isn't So the people that come to me are the people that have gone all the way through this. Why can't I do this? What's wrong with me? Is there such a thing as a money coach? Maybe there is a money coach. And if you Google money coaching, you will come to me and you will find me. And so that's one of the primary routes. Um, And then I work with financial advisors. I work with people who work with people of money. So solicitors, people who have to handle money and clients. And I help them to help their clients, to help them understand what their clients are going through. It's not always about people that are in debt. It's about people who feel uncomfortable around money. They want to know why, and they want to change that relationship with money. Mm. They want to get better at it, both from a practical level, but also from an emotional level. Um, I have had clients that wanted to, be, uh, wanted to learn about um, financial literacy, pure financial literacy, but we always start with how do you feel about yourself, how do you feel about money and yourself, and then we can go into having a positive relationship and learning stuff uh, around how to invest, how to look at your, build your human capital, how to build investment capital, um, and how to understand about choice architecture, setting yourself up for making good decisions, um, and the process of building good financial habits. So all these things get kind of wrapped up into the money coaching process. It's interesting because it might be that the perception is that
0: if I need to talk to a money coach, you'll give me lots of experience and knowledge and training on the money aspect. And yet actually it sounds like whilst that's important, the critical bit is actually about me and how I or your client would respond to money and the behavior that I'm exhibiting.
1: That's right all the information is available all information not in terms of practical guidance on financial matters martin lewis website in fact every bank now puts out something Mm. on financial literacy and and good budgeting skills and money management all of that stuff is there what i do is i connect people with it emotionally because what's blocking them From taking this on board is I guess you know fundamentally what a coach does is it the coach will take the information that they know and make it relevant to that individual so if you were to come to me it's not how how do it's, it's how do how do you get better with money in other words my job as your money coach, would be to help you, Colin, get better with money, not give you a bunch of information about budgeting. It is, how often do you read your bank statements? When you open them up, what do you feel? Do you feel fear? Do you feel guilt? Mm. Do you even open your bank statements? Mm. And once we've worked through that process of you feeling positive about yourself, you're feeling positive about your ability to manage money or your own money, Mm. then we can build up the practical aspects to it. It doesn't work. And and is it? Information never changed anybody's behavior. Right. Experienced us from a learning perspective. You have kids, you can give them a lecture on momentum and balance, but that's not going to help them ride a bicycle, is it? Mm. Yeah. So the coaching process is, what is it? How do we understand your relationship with money? And how do we set you up to build good positive financial behaviors at the personal level, not at the generic. These are the things you need to do. This is how you and I are going to work together for success in this space.
0: So, how did you come to find this as the, the way to bring satisfaction to your career? Because, as you say, the the information is out there, and and you know, in my experience is become more qualified and you understand more and and then I obviously work with with my clients on their specific needs but you're really addressing some of the fundamental issues so how did you get to that point
1: of deciding this is what you're going to do? I'd spent uh, nearly 30 years in in financial services working in in banks um, abroad as well as here Uh, And I fancied a career change somewhere around 2014. So I spent a lot of time with clients. I spent a lot of time with money, a lot of time with people in banks who were really awful with their own money. One guy I worked with, and he was the head of lending and governance at a bank. He went bankrupt while we were working together. So working in a bank just doesn't make you any better with money. People think they do. They go, oh, you work in a bank. You must be good with money. You're not necessarily... The reason I was good with money is that my parents were both very frugal too. My father was born in 1919. He went through two wars and a depression. So he knew where every penny went. And that is what I inherited from him. Um, Some people go the other way. Some people go, 25% of people will reject their childhood upbringing, which is why you have this interesting situation where you can have two, three siblings, all of them different because they all take out of it. that that childhood melting pot experience, subtly different things. Uh, So I was quite good with with money and very controlling around money. Um, And I came back to the UK and I wasn't able to get a job. I had actually managed to save up a large amount of, of money which I was using to build a house. So I had a project to get involved with. Although anyone who's ever built a house knows that the problem with that is that you have to make thousands of decisions. Now, they're actually spending decisions. And when you're slightly anxious, as I was becoming around money, uh, each decision becomes more and more difficult to make. And I was trying to work out what to do in the background with my career and where I wanted to go with it. And I wanted to use kind of all the stuff I had learned over time. And so I was actually looking at researching financial literacy. Um, And somewhere in the middle of this process, I came across money coaching. Which was really lucky because i just had a minor breakdown around my finances my anxiety the whole thing just went and i realized when i came across money coaching i realized that i really knew nothing about myself and money i knew a huge amount about investing i built product platforms i built a private bank with a couple of other guys i knew i know all this stuff and yet when it came down to me my relationship with money I didn't know anything about it and my anxiety boiled over into the family space and when you're living with an anxious person it's just not a pleasant place for for people to live so the money coaching process that I went through the training I went through was transformative for me at a personal level and it showed me how I could manage my own anxieties around money how I could become a better person to live with but also how I could help other people with this. And it's important for people to, to know that everything they feel and think around money can be changed. It's not their fault. It's, a, it's, it's their subconscious inheritance from their childhood. No one chooses to be anxious. No one chooses to be ashamed. No one chooses, you don't choose your emotions. In fact, a lot of the time, we don't even choose our thoughts. What's interesting about our thoughts are, if I want to do conscious thinking, I can do conscious thinking. So we make the mistake of thinking um, that is how we think. Um, there's a guy called David Eagleman, who's the, the, the brain man who, on this. Is We don't think in the way we think we think. Because I'm capable of conscious thinking, I assume, most of us assume that our thought processes are conscious. They're not. 95% of them are not. You don't choose your thoughts. They just come up. You don't choose your emotions. They just come up. When you begin to understand that process, you can ask yourself, well, all these things I think and feel, are they working for me? Are they making me a happier person? Are they taking me towards the person I wanna be or away from the person I wanna be? Our life outcomes are based primarily on our decision-making process. And if we don't understand what our decision-making process looks like and how much of it's subconscious, the chances that that is actually making life easier for us Are pretty remote because all this stuff started when we were very young kids bringing consciousness to that allowing people to go i have a choice in this now i can see what's been blocking me all this time i don't need to feel this way about myself or money anymore i can move forward from this is tremendously powerful i'm sure you've experienced that in your in when you've had a client or clients come in and they're very nervous they're very anxious about the future they sit down with you and you go and they leave your office and they go oh, I'm so glad we went to see Colin I, I can I'm now not worried about the future the brain is wired to look out for danger that's how that's how species stay alive and it'll it does this automatically again you can't control your thoughts you can't control your feelings what you can do is look at them and go aha yes that is a uh, That's a fear response. I know what's driving it. I don't need to be hostage to this anymore. I can move beyond that. That is a response that was developed uh, to get you out of danger when something with more teeth and more legs was hunting you down. It's not the same thing as opening your credit card bill, but it feels like it. It feels like you're being threatened.
0: Mm.
1: And that's the thing to help people understand is, A, that's normal and you're all right there's nothing wrong with you now let's work to create a response rather than a reaction you can't change the reaction but you can change the response and then you can take that consciousness and 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 use it to make better decisions communicate in healthy ways and reduce fear and anxiety all those things will take you towards the person you want to be they'll make your future easier not more difficult I'm not anti-emotion at all. It's an incredibly powerful part of the decision-making process. But you can get hijacked by your mind. You can get hijacked by these primitive responses that were there essentially to keep us alive in an environment of great danger and uncertainty. Um, and we're really lucky that we don't live in that environment anymore, but we still have these powerful mechanisms that kick in mm. when we feel threatened. And when we feel, you know, that can be from a tweet so yeah. yeah this is I mean,
0: i'm just interested in the fact that it was your experience that in some ways shaped the fact that you felt this could help other people how did that experience manifest itself i'm just wondering for someone who might be listening now who might have a sense of unease around money let's put it that way might be greater than that what might be some of the feelings that they're having i mean what was your experience of that
1: how that manifested itself was uh, by extreme control. So the brain is thinking, to, is, is worrying about running out of money. It's, it's agonizing about the future. It's very concerned about the uncertainty. And the way it responded to, to managing the uncertainty is, I will spend as little as I possibly can, because then even if I do run out, I know I'll have done my best. That's the bit I can control. It's desperately looking for control. And when it's in that mode, your, your, your ability to think rationally around anything becomes very, very narrowed. Again, it comes back to running away with, from danger with great haste. Do I need to worry about anything other than running away? No, I don't. But if I get triggered by that process when I'm thinking about financial planning, budgeting, my financial future, then it's really, really unhelpful. So for me... Uh, at that when I learned to understand and manage that response, I learned to stop worrying and start planning and start thinking and stop being hijacked by fear around the future. I finished the house, built the house, live in the house and learned to to, to I guess it sounds ridiculous, but I learned to budget, I learned to plan. I realized that I was teach uh, trying to teach financial literacy I uh, was teaching stuff I didn't do myself. It sounds really strange to to admit that but it was a moment where I go, no wonder I feel uncertain I'm not doing what I know is the right thing to do and mm. um, so it, in that sense but, but what was blocking me was my fear my fear was blocking me from doing the right thing that I needed to do my fear of and we all know, a lot of people have this they, they don't open they don't want to look at their pace they don't want to look at it because they don't want it to be less than than they need it to be or that's going to make them feel comfortable and that blocks us from dealing with it and because we can't deal with it we can't fix it And because we can't fix it it doesn't get any better in fact it, if you you can get into another spiral of, of real despair and, and rumination around this. Um, so with anything that is really really causing you anxiety and distress find someone that can sit and create a safe space for you to discuss this in a judgment-free zone and go, I hear you. Not try and fix it necessarily, just listen to you. And how many times have you heard people go, oh, so much better when I talk about this. I've unburdened it. The process neurologically is externalizing it. I've Mm -hmm. taken it out of my head and I've put it out there. I don't even need someone else to fix it necessarily. I just need to know that I can talk about it and feel safe, and someone can go, you know what, Colin, Dennis, whoever. Uh, thank you for sharing that with me.
0: I think that's the difference between the work that we do, in the sense that your skill set is very much getting someone to externalize those issues and almost get out of their internal subconscious the, sure. the issues. Whereas I guess you're right, our our modus operandi as a business, if you like, is the fixing bit. And that's fine, there's a need for fixing. But I think there's a need for fixing once you've got that coaching bit right.
1: They're not that much different. You are also creating a safe environment for clients to talk about things that are really important to them. And so am I. Your process is, is, is a bit more numerical and possibly a bit linear, but when you start, your first conversation with a client is always listening to learn. Not listening to fix, not listening to respond, you listen to learn. After that, yes, you could plug the numbers into your spreadsheets and your process and your dis- your cash flow calculators and everything, but you have to listen to learn. That is true. Yeah. Uh, so I do a bit more listening to learn. And, and then after that, we work through the blockages. Um, uh, uh, It really comes down to how do you have healthy communication around topics that people find challenging, that trigger them, that that they find reactive? Mm. I'm sure you've sat in a room where you've had a couple in there and one of them is feeling okay and the other one's feeling pretty anxious, right? Because they both have a different relationship with money. And while your conversation might be working for one of them, the other one's not in the same space at all um and so understanding that and understanding how you can work with both parties understanding what is driving one person's reaction uh, it's great when opposites attract but not if you're always going to be clashing around things yeah and opposites attract is, is is kind of sometimes we look to other people for the things we don't have in ourselves and that's fantastic up until you're trying to agree on a financial. F- a financial plan and one of you is coming at it from the i um we can't take it with us so let's just enjoy ourselves and the other one's going no we need to we never know if we're going to run out or we need to leave something for the kids or, or this or that or the other or you know my parents told me that that you should never do it this way mm. um so yeah coaching is the money coaching framework uh, works practically everywhere yeah. So if you want I mean, to have healthy communication on any subject that is difficult, you need to understand how that other person feels and reacts around that, and they need to feel safe discussing that with you. And if you can't make them feel safe, then they're just going to be reactive. If I say to you, um, "How much did you spend on that? That's ridiculous." And there's a lot of value judgment in there. What is your <laughs> what is your response, Colin? Yes. Yeah, you tend to be defensive as soon as right. someone asks a question like that. Of course, because it's not about the numbers. I'm attacking your identity. Mm. I'm challenging you at the personal level. And any attack at the personal level, any attack on my identity as me, is going to get a fight or flight response out of me. I didn't choose that either, right? You didn't choose that. But the, the tone and the words I use will provoke in you a reaction. Now, then you're going to go, what do you mean? right? And then I'm going to react to that because I'm probably in a bad mood to start with anyway. Now, how is that conversation going to go? How is that conversation ever going to go anywhere other than slamming doors and then come back in a month's time, a week's time, a day's time and have the same conversation again? In money coaching, we talk about money scripts because we're, re- we're using the same words each time we have that argument because we're repeating the clash of values, the clash of identities. And guess what? Those are the words your parents might well have used. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And you'll always have, that's where they are, you always or you never. um,
1: Oh, that one, yeah, yeah, those those strong words. You always do this or you never think about that. It's just like, um, and and, yeah, stepping back from that. In fact, well, I can actually feel that. I can feel the, the cortisol and the adrenaline in my body just from the role-playing uh, side of that. I think my voice has gone up. So we'll you know go back to um to the calm in calm, calm down, we're Wait. just talking. Yeah. Well, we are well, that... and and yet, and yet um, that is the situation we go through as humans, as um, social hierarchical mammals all the time. Mm. Our brains are scanning for things that could be threats to us. Could be the way I talked to you or the way that person looked at me or the way that person drove. Could be uh, not getting enough likes. Could be the email message. Could be a whole bunch of stuff mm. that's just sitting there ready to send you off uh, and, and get a reaction out of you. Oh, this is before we talk about the whole social media. Well, stuff. I was just going to say, that's probably just worth exploring but, as we come.
0: To um,
1: well, it's an interesting way to understand how the brain works. So advertising, advertisers have known this for years. Um, and I guess in some ways, all that's that's really changed around social media is, it's, is that you can target the individual with their individual dynamics, let's just say, at that point in time, whereas previously if you wanted to watch ads you have to watch itv and you know that this has just come right into your subconscious so essentially the the main ways to get people to react are through fear or greed fear is the powerful one that's the one that is the human system in fact every single animal or reptile is wired up to react to fear that's how you stay alive the only future that's that means anything is the one you're alive to see so your whole body reacts to fear and that's why fear um in its various manifestations of, of disgust and and anger and hatred all these things cause us to react um without even really knowing why and 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 so the the social media system is is is, is Targeted to produce a reaction for you to to forward something or click on this or send that or or, or or whatever. It's just really obvious now how that works. So that's going on continuously. It's just amped up through the through the phone. Put the phones away. We're going to get far less triggered all day long. But that but the mechanisms are still there. If it comes mm-hmm. back to money, that mechanism will still be will still trip us up, trigger us in the way that. When you you think you've lost your phone or you think you've lost your car keys all of a sudden you've got that reaction mm. when you step off the pavement and you need to get hit by a car you've got that reaction you don't choose it all those things are just hardwired into you as as core survival mechanisms and money gets tied up into that process and any threat to our core survival meets the reactive response and that's how we all get trapped into into our money behaviors. So and each then, time we're looking at um, social media, it's a stimulus that
0: will that is likely to have that either the fear or greed issue triggered, both in terms of the advertising we might be seeing, or the
1: comments that somebody's making, or the lack of response that we are. That, that potential is there. Yes, it's a great communication tool, but primarily it's used uh, the the business models of facebook and google and everything are to keep you locked into your device and to get you to circulate stuff which is essentially it's an attention they want they want your attention and they get your attention by getting a reaction out of you the headline 10000 planes took off today safely no reaction right horror as plane plunges into playground you're going to get a reaction mm. take that and and multiply across all those platforms, you're gonna get a reaction, um, you're gonna get a response. And then the more time that you can be essentially on device, the greater the advertising revenue, the greater the the, the revenue response from that, particularly when it's micro-targeted. But that's, again, that's just the hijacking of the human brain. The human brain is pretty good at hijacking itself without having Google (laughs) and Facebook and and Twitter and everybody else on there. You know, with, with, with the outrage space. So it just taps into the same mechanism that trips us up when we, when, we, um, when, you, when we think about money, when we get hijacked by our fears around money or when we get hijacked by guilt or shame or just any of those, you know, hijacked by our, our, our emotions. Mm. Um, so this is the area um, that I work with my clients in and it's life-changing. If you can stop being scared of money and learn how to plan, you change your future you can then engage with the financial services system. If not, you're trapped in the present. So one of the ways of looking at this is that the financial services system uh, is a time machine. Have you heard this analogy? I have an I'm thinking of myself as Doctor Who and all of this, but- Well, it's, um, <laughs> it's brilliant because what can you do? You can take money from the future and bring it into the present. What is a mortgage? A mortgage is money that you're going to earn over the next 20, 30 years. And I can have it today to buy a house. So I can take money from the future and I can bring it to the present. I can also take money from the present and put it away for the future. So future okay. Dennis, yeah. what is future Dennis's pension? It's what what's today's Dennis puts in there and it grows and it gives future Dennis a set of choices mm. that he can have in, in life. So it's a time machine. Now, if you don't understand that, If you have no savings or if you have no uh, capacity to engage with the financial services system, you're trapped in the present. If you don't have any money left at the end of the week or the day or the month, you can't move it into the future and you can't bring it from the future in. You're stuck in the present. The present is the reactive piece Mm. of your life. I'm stuck in the present. I can't have security in the future I can't think of the future and go, oh, that, you know, that'll be great. I've got that to look forward to because you can't engage with the financial services system. So you're trapped in this reactive bit. So your brain, which is looking for danger and looking to the future, going, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen is out of control. Whereas if you had a regular savings plan and you had, you know, that uh, pension coming, you know what that future looks like. Whereas otherwise all your future thinking is negative. That's right because you've got no solutions in place. All you've got is unknown danger yeah. in the future. Yeah. Uh, and if you, if, if you worry about the future, you're essentially trapped, you know, trapped in this, in this yeah. part now. And a lot of people are stuck like that. They're not, they're not, and, and because they're trapped by worry, it's very difficult to think straight. It's very difficult to engage with the system. And then when you turn that internally, you think there's something wrong with you. Everyone else looks fine. Mm. The only thing you know about the guy with the new car next door is that he's got whatever it is, £30,000 less than he had the day before. There's this expression that we, we compare our insides to other people's outsides. So I, the, the phrase I love
0: the most, I think, is that we use money that we don't have to buy things we don't
1: need to impress people we don't like. Absolutely right. And that are ruining the planet. This is an extractive process that ruins the planet in the same way that the social media model is an extractive model that sucks attention out of people it mm-hmm. doesn't replace it with anything just replace it with fear and, and, and reactivity so that's extractive ultimately if you're not paying for the product you are the product it, it comes out externalizing and internalizing external things cannot make you happier inside that's not how it's wired you get moments of joy you don't get happiness happiness is about being secure about who you are where you're going and who you're with
0: yeah absolutely so dennis how would someone approach you to um talk these things through if they're listening
1: to this or they know someone who they feel
0: might benefit from this how do they find you
1: you find me at cambridge moneycoaching.uk my website has all the contact information it has uh information about it has some blogs around what i do who i am i think fairly well expressed that Um, and you we have a chat about where you'd like to go what you'd like to achieve although you're based in Cambridge
0: you know I'm sure you're more than happy to cross the border and deal with Suffolk people
1: oh absolutely and of course uh, most business is done over zoom these days yeah of course we we don't need to be in the same room um but we do need to be in the same space and that's a safe space for people I think that's the issue is just sort of having seen you at work
0: is just unlocking that whole range of options that people can access. Um, You are maybe different from everybody else in um, the world that we operate in, which is your issue is not about solving with a a product or a a plan per se. Um, it's, It's about understanding what makes someone tick and where their experience is.
1: It's about blocks. So we spend a lot of time getting better at things we like. And that's fantastic. Whatever it is you like, you invest time in it and it gives you real joy and satisfaction. But what's life-changing is when you fix things that are blocking you. That changes your life. The others make life better. This, if you're fundamentally blocked around your ability to manage your finances, that's not going to fix itself. It's just going to get worse. If you can remove that block, if you can find someone to show you, support you in that process and fix that for you, that is life-changing it's okay not to feel great about your finances and there is someone who can help you
0: absolutely well we'll put a link on the um, text uh part with the uh with the podcast so people can follow that through but thank you that's been wonderful just to understand your experiences and the difference that you make to people's
1: lives thank you colin thank you so much for inviting me it's a pleasure to talk about what i do As always,
0: do give us some feedback. Go onto our Facebook page, which is Suffolk Money, and uh, find us there. Leave us some comments, give us some feedback, and uh, do the same on your podcast facility of choice, whichever one you're using. If you can give us some feedback through there as well, we'd love to receive that. Please do uh, recommend us to your friends so that they can get some benefit from the stories that we're bringing. And also if you've got any news items that you can keep us informed about, then we'd love to hear those as well. So we hope that we'll see you next time on Suffolk Money.